With all the attention on major gifts, are we forgetting about the small donor? That could be one of the myths of philanthropy and fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Jen Shaker. Jen has a long, extensive history as a frontline fundraiser and is also on the faculty and is a talented frontline researcher at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, where she also serves on our faculty with the fundraising school. And Jen, we had this article come out, The Eight Myths of Philanthropy, that appeared in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. And you pointed out that one of the myths is the kind of lack of importance of small gifts. And you say, not so. Help us understand that story. That's true. Small gifts do matter uh, on their own. They're important to organizations. And just think, for example, of Giving Tuesday, right? Mm -hmm. So last year for Giving Tuesday, over $400 million was donated. And the mean, the mean gift was $100. So 3.6 plus million people made those gifts. And so we can imagine how important all those gifts are for all those different organizations. So one, those gifts do matter for their own sake. Two, they matter because think about how you started giving to an organization. Right. Was your first gift your largest gift ever? No. Most of us, that's our smallest gift, our starting gift, right? So we have to start somewhere. So those gifts matter for that purpose as well. Mm -hmm. And the data back that up. We know that the households on average give about $2,500 and they do right. that across several nonprofits. Right. Simple math says four to six nonprofits divided into 2,500 is a three figure gift on average. We also know the median gift in the United States is $1,000, meaning mm -hmm. more than half of the gifts mm -hmm. are greater than 1,000, but that means more than half of the gifts are less, less. than 1,000. Mm -hmm. All this to say is there's tremendous possibility by inviting donors to start with us at these smaller amounts. Yes, I agree. And so what is the strategy then? What do we need to be thinking about? Because of course, uh, a donor who writes a five-figure, six-figure check can move us forward towards our goals, mm -hmm. also in a major gifts campaign, mm -hmm. in a capital uh, campaign as well. How do we uh, make sure that we're including these small gifts in our fundraising plans and strategies? Well, you've heard this before, but you need a strategy that matches the audience, the um, expected gift level. So you can't deploy the same strategy for a, a major donor as for an annual donor, right? Mm -hmm. You can't afford that as an organization. So you need a fundraising plan that covers all those dimensions of your um, gift levels. And you need strategies that match. So you need to map it out. And I think one really important thing is to remember that you have to evaluate. So you have to make sure that the strategies you're using to get those gifts of $100 are cost effective for your organization. So you try a strategy and then you see how it goes and then you regroup. You don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. So a couple of points. One is your approaches need to be um, targeted at the gift level and the population that you're thinking of and you need to always be thinking about how did that effort go? What do we need to do differently? And start where you are with what you have and who you know and do the best you can. And Jen, I think about my own high school. I attended a, a private parochial high school mm -hmm. in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and as an alum, I received a fundraising letter. And yeah. this fundraising letter actually had photos of the folks who are on faculty 
back when I was at school, and yeah. it's been a while now, and yet they did their homework and found out when I was there who the faculty mm -hmm. were, and they said, hey, a lot of these folks are now either in retirement or getting ready to retire. Mm -hmm. Would you like to make a gift in their honor and tell us who you would like to honor in that yeah. way? They didn't have to go buy a list. They didn't have to start from scratch. They started with people who they knew, yeah. to, and, and the suggested dollar amounts were two and three figures. So yeah. there are ways we can start in simple ways with the resources that we have. Yes. What other strategies are you aware of in terms of trying to be most efficient at recruiting these smaller gifts? Well, to, to your example, they thought about you. Who's mm -hmm. our potential audience? And what might resonate with you? And so then you made your first gift, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then did you make another gift after that? Well, th this just happened. So, oh, yeah. this just happened. Or, or do you feel inclined to make another gift? You know, candidly, since I'm a fundraiser, we'll see how the stewardship goes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, so that's important part of the strategy right there. Yeah. You know, once, you, once a donor has made their first gift, we lose too many of those donors. And, and I'm not... I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but once someone has made their first gift, we really want to keep them. Yeah. So we need to invest in that stewardship dimension, that communications dimension. And so just as we might be trying then to draw in other new folks, maybe other high school classmates, yeah. we want to keep you as well. So you need a holistic strategy that thinks about not only the acquisition and inviting that first gift, but then creating a good experience after that gift is made, and then continuing to think, okay, so what are we gonna do next time? How are we gonna require more donors? So if this effort worked well with you, then maybe they should try that with the next class next year, and so on. So just kind of thinking about the whole process and not just in individual efforts. And certainly, direct mail does still work, and we have our annual sustainability course where we teach how to do that, and people do buy lists, and they can have success. But you can also start with the list that you have, you know, former participants or others who have been engaged with your organization over the years. Social media is a way mm -hmm. to gather, uh, whether it's through your volunteers and friends sending out word through their social media, maybe you do some of this boosting that we see on social media to find new people. Also special events, uh, when done well, and you understand that the net return is what you're earning, also can be a great way uh, to bring new people in. But Jen, to your last point, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times when I teach for the fundraising school, and I'm sure you observe this as well and then you ask the participants did you capture all their names and contact oh. information and you get the blank look it's so important yes. that we have the donor database set up the way to capture the information and the way to stay in touch mm -hmm. because then mm -hmm. how important is it to not have people just stay at that base level how do we then right. encourage them to make right. larger gifts yes. over time help yes. our audience understand how yes. that works well one important thing is as you said uh, showing those people that you know who they are, that you know what their name is, that you spelled their name right. Yeah. I mean, this was in a recent AFP article that we have actually an ethical responsibility to get people's information right. And then showing them what their gift did at the level that they gave it, right? And then making a case to them about what a larger gift could do and reminding them how much they've given before. All of that can come through having good records, good understanding, a consistent plan with how to speak to your donors and keep communicating with them over time. And stewardship is all about staying in touch with our donors in ways that don't always involve asking them for the financial gift. One right, thing we know, right. Jen, is one reason donors don't give is they're not asked, mm -hmm. but one reason they leave is that they're 
are asked too often. Mm -hmm. So again, mm -hmm. across all ranges, and including when we're thinking about these donors at smaller levels, what advice do you have for fundraisers? Uh, on the stewardship end of things. Yeah, and just yeah. as they approach this demographic yeah. Yeah. to fill out their entire donor pyramid, yeah. including the base where these small gifts reside. Yeah, well, we know that donors want to be feel engaged more than ever. And so organizations are getting really creative in thinking about how they can engage their donors. I just got an email recently uh, from an organization that was doing a photo caption contest uh, that related to their mission and what they mm. do, right? And so they're trying to get me, that was a casual donor to that organization, to engage with something that they're doing, something fun in this case, and use that to help me feel m closer to them. So, you know, what, what tools do you have um, it, through your social media, through your events, through your programs, through the great work that you're doing, that you can invite people, even annual donors, to um, be involved in some small way. It doesn't have to be a big way. It could be a, a two-minute survey. Tell us what you think or help us pick, make, um, pick our theme for the year. Anything like that. Uh, and some people will, some people won't do it, but some people will rise to the top and show that they have additional interests in your organization. So finding ways to help you sort through uh, you know, your annual donors and see which ones really might have a deeper commitment and being creative about how you do it are and, good approaches. And Jen, we also know that for many of our donors at these so-called smaller levels, the two and three figure gift or the smaller four figure gift, they are giving at the top of their capacity and mm -hmm. they're being very generous and we're grateful for that. And they're gonna stay at that level. We also know from our high net worth donor study that our school publishes every other year that sometimes our wealthiest neighbors, our wealthiest donors, are using these smaller gifts almost like undercover boss. They're mm -hmm. checking us out a little bit mm -hmm. and we hear these stories that two or three years later because of the good stewardship, now we see a five-figure, sometimes a six-figure gift. What yes. have you seen in your experience? Yes. And again, we know this doesn't always happen, but sometimes the possibility is there. Yes, right, and, the, and there's an example in the article, the Eight mm -hmm. Myths article, about World Vision donors and a couple who started out making a very small gift and who became engaged with the organization, who themselves became major donors, but then who also helped bring a number of other donors to the cause. And so these stories are real and people do transform from uh, annual donors to major donors when they have the capacity. Now some of us, we may not have that capacity and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need all of those gifts in our organizations and we value all of those donors. So making sure that people feel valued and know that their gift matters and maybe know how it's used at any level really is important. And Fundraising, as our founder, Dr. Henry Rosso said, is the gentle art of teaching others what? The joy of giving. And why not allow all of our potential donors to experience that joy of giving at their level of generosity, which can also include donors who their capability is that smaller gift. Yes, this can be more time intensive, 
as Jen has advised us, we find, need to find the most efficient ways, especially if we're a smaller to medium-sized nonprofit, uh, to do this work. But there are ways through direct mail, using your existing contacts, certainly social media, uh, special events, relationships through your board and your volunteers and your donors, and especially then if you have that right donor database to track their activity with you over time, use proper stewardship, and maybe you'll just continue to receive that $50 check for many years in a row, and you'll be grateful to have that person diversifying your fundraising base. And as we know from the research, some of those folks over time will increase their size of gift. Because as you said, it, our first gift is not always our largest gift. Yeah. In fact, it hardly ever is. Dr. Jen Shaker is on our faculty at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and the Fundraising School. She contributed to the Eight Myths of Philanthropy article that is in the Stanford Social Innovation Review and linked directly to our school's website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Now, if you look at professional development, bring down the menu across the top bar, you find the Fundraising School. and You'll hear about our 20 courses in 18 U.S. cities, our three certificates that you can earn, custom training that we can bring right to you. Jen and I often have opportunities to teach together in that custom training format all across the United States, sometimes even across the world. We have quarterly webinars and of course these free podcasts all available at philanthropy.iupui.edu. With Dr. Jen Shaker, I'm Bill Stanjakovich. You are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.